This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you. Visit it and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We're right uh, at the tail end of a series that we started a few weeks ago. My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Vortex. The series is called Christmas. Really looking at that word mas, more. Asking God, God, as we get into Christmas, what kind of more do you want for us? What kind of more? Because we all want more at Christmas. Some of y'all so excited because in just a few days you can get more socks and underwear and you're all excited about it. Because that's what Christmas is all about, right? More, more, more. But we've endeavored over the last few weeks to ask God, God, what could more in your eyes look like? Just so you know where we're going to go for the next few weeks, uh, just so that can uh, kind of, you can plan to be a part of this. On Wednesday night, we're doing an event called Vintage Christmas. Uh, Right now, the we have three times, uh, 6, 7.15, and 8.30. The 6 and 7.15 are already sold out. By sold out, I don't mean that we're charging anything for tickets, but over the last few years, we've packed out the venue at Dennis Vineyards, and because it is so small, we didn't want everyone to show up at the same time. That's why we're ticketing the event this year, so that we can make sure where there's plenty of room for one you to show up. So if you're still interested, we still have plenty of room at the 830 service. We'd love to have you and your family there. Next Sunday, we're going to bring back one of our favorite series of the entire year for one week. It's called At the Movies. It's a, a series where we bring out uh, a film that is uh, maybe popular and playing in theaters at the time, and we literally preach a message on that film uh, using a, a, a timely story to share, timeless truth. And I don't know if you've heard about it, but there's a small, low-budget film that was released this weekend called Star Wars, right? And so we're going to feature that uh, next Sunday, The Force Awakens. And I just, I'm, I'm just trying to give you a little preview of something. We're not going to show the, the, the preview video for this until vintage on, sun, on Wednesday, but we're, we have a, a series planned for for January that that I promise you I, I we've been praying about we really believe God's going to use it in your lives it's called awaken and and for 5 weeks we're going to pray that God wakes us up to the kind of life that he designed us to live and so many of us our hearts are asleep to the things that God wants for us and for 5 weeks we're going to say God God come shake us rattle our cages Wake us up and point us in the direction that you want us to go. I promise you, you want to make plans to be here in January for Awaken. It's going to be a powerful, powerful series for us. So to get started today, I wanted to ask you this question. Have you ever felt like an outsider at a party? Have you ever been to a party? 
and you felt like an outsider. Maybe somebody drug you along to a small group party, all right? Maybe, maybe it was their small group at church, and they had a Christmas party. I was very blessed this week to have our small group over to our house and have a Christmas party and get to spend an evening with them. And, you know, it's, normally the relationships are pretty broad in a small group. They, it's just kind of commonality and friends. And so it's maybe easier to fit in there than it is the first time that you're a boyfriend or girlfriend and you get invited to go meet the family, right? That's always, it's always a little awkward, right? You always feel like everybody's talking about something that I don't understand. I wasn't there for that event. Or they're speaking maybe a different way, a different language. And I don't think there's anything that you get invited to that makes you feel more like an outsider than getting invited to an office Christmas party. Right? If you're the significant other, the plus one that gets drug along to an office Christmas party, it's just going to be awkward because the way offices work is that normally these people are all pretty similar, right? They have a similar language. They have common experiences, right? Normally, if it's a bunch of, can you imagine being the person who, like your husband works for NASA and you have to go to a NASA Christmas party? Can you imagine trying to decipher the, everything that they're talking about, trying to fit in? So what I thought I would do today to help you is to give you five things that you could do if you're at an awkward party in the next few days. You could do these things just to make them a little bit more awkward, okay? Five things you could do to make the event just a little bit more awkward. Number one, sit in the corner by yourself and try to beat all 47,000 levels of Angry Birds, all right? I, I would advise this, especially if you're visiting the family of your significant other for the first time, right? Because there's nothing that makes a mother-in-law more proud than saying, yeah, that's my daughter-in-law over there. She's the one sitting in the corner by herself playing Angry Birds, um, right? <laughs> nothing more awkward than that, right? Right. Number four, dance wildly to All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey and demand unsolicited participation from onlookers, right? There's nothing like just dancing when people aren't dancing to make it a little bit more awkward. Number three, don't flush. <laughs> yep, don't, don't flush. It's guaranteed to make it more awkward. Number two, number two, pretend that you know everyone and try to finish their sentences. There's nothing that makes it more awkward than somebody you have no clue trying to interrupt you and finish your sentence. Number, and number one, complain about the food, especially if it's ethnic, and compare it to your family's food, Right? There's nothing that makes it a little bit more awkward than that. I, just having some fun. I do want to give you three things that if you do find yourself in that situation in the next few days, three things that you can do to make it a little less awkward, okay? Here's number three. Number three, focus on people and learn their story. Focus on people and learn their story. It's always awkward because you don't know their story. You don't know them. So get in a conversation. Figure out who somebody is, what their background's like. Number two, find some common ground with them. Find some common. Don't focus on the things that are different. Focus on the things that you have in common. And if you really want to make it less awkward, you really want to have something to focus on to make a moment like that less awkward, here's what you do. Number one, encourage them, speak peace, and give love. Encourage them, speak peace, and give love. And I promise you, that that awkward moment will be a little bit less awkward. You know, the thing about the Christmas story, really the story of God from very beginning to the very 
end, even with us being way before the end, the story of God is all about who is in and who is out. Let's go back to the very beginning of the story. God created a garden and took man and his wife, Adam and Eve, and put them in the garden. And then they blew it, and he put them out of the garden. And from that moment on, the question was going to be, who's in, who's out? Who's in, who's out? So if you fast forward to the time of Jesus, the way that that question was being answered was that a good, observant, God-fearing Jew, they were the in crowd. Everyone else was on the outside. Everyone else was on the outside. That's me and you. Those who were Gentiles were on the outside. Have you ever felt like you were on the outside? You ever felt like an outsider? Some of you have. You know, the worst is feeling like an outsider at church. Feeling like an outsider at church. There are some of you who have come up and said, you know, Kevin, I so appreciate what we've done at Vortex because I've tried to fit in at church for my entire life and I finally found a place that I feel like I can make it home. I have a friend who was helping his lunch team understand that people sometimes feel like outsiders at church. And he did this really neat thing. He said, I'm going to give you $50. And so next, they met on a, a Sunday night. He said, next weekend, what I want you to do is I want you to take this $50 from our church. I want you to go. I want you to go find a place that you'd never go, a place that you would feel maybe a little uncomfortable. And I want you to spend next Saturday evening there. I want you to feel what it's like to be an outsider. And his lunch team was diverse. There was a uh, co- lot of college kids and all the way up to some older uh, retired couples. And one of these retired couples was just a sweet, sweet older couple. They were the kind of couple that, you know, tucked it in early at night, got up early in the morning, drank their coffee together, read the newspaper together. Just that sweet old couple. During the week, the husband said to his wife, he said, you know, there's this bar down the street. We've never been the kind to go to a bar. We've never been the kind, but we'll drink a few glasses of wine at home. So here's what we're going to do Saturday night. We're going to go to that bar. We're going to sit at the bar. We're going to drink a few glasses of wine throughout the evening. We're going to sit there the whole night, and we're going to feel what it feels like to be an outsider because we've never felt that at church, and there's some of you that have never felt that way at church. And so they did. They went there very early. They got there at about 5.36, and they got to the bar and pulled it up. Before too long, y'all know that nobody's at the bar at 5.30 or 6, and before too long, people started to show up. They, they were like, started to feel really like outsiders because they had not planned or had they known that that night that bar was hosting a drag queen competition. And so that old couple sat there through the whole evening with drag queens running around, feeling awkward and feeling like outsiders. I think it's interesting that as the story of Christmas begins to unfold, that one of the major players, one of those little statues in your nativity set is everything that an outsider is. 
In the gospel of Jesus, God's presence on earth is simply for this reason, to take that which was on the outside and to bring it in. And we're going to see that in the story of the Magi. We find them in Matthew 2. Matthew 2, here we go. Jesus was born in, Beth- in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, the ones that we call the wise men, and some translations will we'll call them the magi, were, were not these nomadic Jews. They were not, um, they were eastern priest, most likely from Persia. It, we're, we're looking at a, 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 sin, a class of nobility, a, of a pagan religion who largely observed the universe and responded to what they saw happening. And when they saw an event happen in the sky, an astrological event, something that would have happened, they took it typically to to mean that wherever this was happening over, there was going to be a change in the leadership that was present in that area. And so as they witnessed the star appearing, these men came east. I want you to understand, these guys were absolute outsiders. And at this point in time, Jews were all about who was in and who was out. All, they were all about it, so much so that they had gotten down to the very letter of the law to say, if you don't do this, this way, at this time, then you can't be in. And here is a traveling band of pagan Persian priests who show up asking, where is the king? Isn't it interesting that God would send outsiders into the story? See, it goes on, and as we begin to kind of talk about this story, you're going to see that this story is all about a king. As a matter of fact, it's about a king that was on the inside. As I say that, if you're a churchgoer, you're familiar with the story, you probably think, yeah, it's all about Jesus. That's not at all who it's about. As a matter of fact, in verse 1, it mentions King Herod, Herod the Great, who ruled uh, Judea, which was from 37 B.C. to 4 A.D. He was originally, Herod was appointed by the Roman Senate Eventually, after the transition was made in Roman government to the Caesar, Augustus Caesar appointed him again as the ruler of Judea. Now, people would have told you in that day that Herod was a brilliant man. He is responsible for some of the most significant archaeological um, achievements. I'm sorry, building achievements there in, in, in Israel. I mean, he was a master architect. 
He designed the aqueduct system that brought fresh water into portions of Jerusalem. He renovated the temple. And while many historians call him a great builder, maybe one of the greatest builders in the history of Israel, he was also a mad murderer who was known for executing his family or anyone who would threaten his throne. You know, the thing about Herod is Herod and his whole family converted to Judaism. They were Jews. A lot of historians surmise that his conversion was so that he could rule over Jerusalem a little bit more aptly, that the people would respect him because he was a Jew. But he was on the inside. He was one of the in crowd. And here this group of outsiders shows up to see him. And we see the conversation begin in verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, the news that there was a king that was being born. So he called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, scholars would tell you that because he's asking that question, that's kind of like asking a very elementary Bible school question. In our day and time, it would be the, the akin to asking, what, what is John 3.16? And John, Herod's going, all right, everybody, I need some pastors and, and theologians to tell me, what is John 3.16? Right. This elementary Bible knowledge question, Herod calls in all the teachers of the law, and they say, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophets wrote. So after learning the location of the king, the, where the Messiah was planned and, and prophesied to be born, Herod the Great returns to these pagan priests and tells them, well, we're expecting a Messiah to be born as, as Jews. We're, we're, we've been waiting for that. And the prophecy says that he should be born in Bethlehem. So why don't you go find him? And when you find him, come back and get me, because I want to worship him as well. Now, if you have an insight into his character, you know what's going on. And any person who would have stepped into Jerusalem at that point would have known what was happening. See, Herod was afraid that he would lose his priority in their community. He was afraid that his rule would be usurped by the coming Messiah. And in many Jewish minds at that point, they felt like the coming Messiah was going to be a political figure that would overthrow politicians and rule and would establish a government. So Herod was worried. And when a murderous, mad king gets worried. He does exactly what Herod would do. Knowing that Jesus was at this point in time and a little bit past his birth, probably about 18 months old, Herod would order the slaughter of every male child in Bethlehem that was under two. Historians call it the slaughter of the innocents all to protect what was his 
from what he knew was happening. Here's this group of outsiders that are caught right in the middle of this story. Let's watch what they do. Then I'm going to make a few observations about the kind of more that God wants to give us this Christmas. Matthew 2, beginning in verse 9. After this interview, after that meeting with Herod, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. Now, they entered the house. We know at this point in time, Jesus has moved from the stable to a house. There's been some time that has passed. When they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and they gave him the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. See, the first thing I want you to see here is that, again, we see that God's plan is to give us more joy. That's the first thing you need to notice today. That God's plan is to give us more joy. After all of the tension of their meeting with King Herod, when the star begins to guide them to the baby Jesus, the Bible says that their hearts were filled with joy. Now, here's the thing. A few weeks ago, we talked about Mary, a pregnant teenage girl who was engaged to uh, an older man who was found to be pregnant. And in the midst of all of that tension, she says, my heart is filled with joy. In a situation, every one of us would be filled with anxiety and fear and worry. Mary finds joy. And right now, we see these magi who are caught between this young child that they know as a king and the existing earthly king that is murderous. And instead of fear, stress, anxiety, and worry, their hearts are filled with joy. Now many of us We use the words joy and happiness synonymously. And we'll just interchange them. But I want you to understand today that they're not the same thing. When the Bible talks about happiness and joy, it uses different words. You see, happiness, happiness is a situational concept. For many of you, it goes this way. If I can just get one night where my kids don't wreck my house. If I can get one night where my husband tells me that whatever I cook, that same chicken that I've been cooking for the last 13 weeks, and he tells me how awesome it is. If he just look at me in the eyes and say, I'm pretty. And if the kids would actually just sleep through the night one time, just give me one night, then I'd be happy. A few weeks ago, we talked about this concept when it came to money, and I asked you, how much money would it take for you to feel secure? And the answer for every person is a little bit more than what you currently have. And the answer to what would make you happy is the same. A little bit more than you currently have. But see, joy is vastly different than that. 
Joy is not based on our circumstances. It is based on whose plan we're in. You see, Mary found joy not because her circumstances were phenomenal, but because she knew she was right in the middle of God's will. The Magi were filled with joy because it was evident that God was leading them. You see, when God and our stories intersect and God is leading us and guiding us and we are following Him, our lives are filled with joy. And this Christmas, I want you to be reminded that if there's anything that God wants your life to be saturated with, it is joy. Not happiness, but joy. And joy can be present in the darkest, most difficult of moments when you know that you are living inside of the will that God has for your life. The second thing I want you to see is that God wants to give us more in, more in. Remember the tension of who's in and who's out. I mean, at this point in time, it it is unfathomable to think that God would invite a group of pagan priests into the story that he was writing, but there they are. They're sitting on all your coffee tables and your little nativity sets. God wants to give us more in. And as we looked last week at the shepherds, those men who had been ostracized, sent outside the barriers of the city to live quiet, lonely lives. God invited them into his story, and it is a great reminder that God wants to give us more of his presence this Christmas. God wants us to live with more of him. Not just in his presence in relationship with him. I mean, think about it. Here here are, I mean, we're looking at outsiders here who it is evident that God is leading and guiding and moving and shaping their lives. And if there's any hope for all of us, it's that God can take someone who's blown it and made the decision to be the outsider And he can guide us and shape us and bring us into relationship with himself. The third thing that I want you to see is that God wants us to bring others in as well. God wants us to bring others in as well. You see, far too often we've thought about our relationship with God in this terms. You know, it's kind of between me and God. And it's never just between me and God. Our relationship with God is designed not just for us, but for the people that we love, that we live with. The shepherds are a great reminder of this. The birth of Jesus could have been heralded by anyone. There, there could have been anyone chosen to be the person running through the streets telling everybody, the Messiah has been born, heaven has come to earth, but God chose a few shepherds to invite them into the story. And Luke 2 records that as the shepherds left, everyone who heard what they had to say was amazed. You see, when God does something good to us, 
We don't keep it to ourselves. God uses what he does to bring others in as well. That's why God has positioned you uniquely in your life to touch people, to make a difference in people that, that probably have no other person that is positioned the way that you are to make a difference in their lives. And God wants us to invite others in. And if you're the person that's here today and you say, I don't feel like I'm a part of that in crowd. Here's what I want you to know, that just because culture says you're out, that doesn't mean that you're out with Jesus. Just because our world or the way that people have thought about you or talked to you or dealt with you has made you feel like you're a part of the out crowd, that doesn't mean that you have to be that way with Jesus. You know, there's an interesting phrase at the beginning of Matthew 2. After Herod learns of the tension that is present, uh, that there's a king, verse 3 says that his heart was deeply troubled. He was deeply disturbed. You know what it also says? That all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Every single person in the city got it wrong. Everyone. Because there was a king that had been born just a few miles south. That he was going to be the real king. You see, if you're the person that's here, and all along, maybe your whole life, you felt like you're the person on the outside, I want you to understand that that's not at all why Jesus came. Jesus came so that we could be in the exact same position that the Magi were that day. You see, we live in a world that this world has a reigning king. And that king is not very nice. As a matter of fact, that king has already sentenced every one of you. That sentence is death. And he will demand your life. Along the way, he's going to torture you, trick you. He's going to try to destroy what life you have. But there was a king that was born in a stable 15 miles south of Jerusalem. And that baby would grow up and die so that the king that currently reigns on earth, his power could be destroyed. And you and I sit in the same position that those magi sit. Which king will we honor and respond to? Which king will we honor and respond to? You see those wise men realized that Herod was trying to manipulate them. And they refused to be a part of that manipulation. They saw the trick of the enemy and they escaped. God warned Mary and Joseph and Je Jesus was protected as they fled to Egypt. You see, we have that same decision. Are you going to honor the king of all kings with your life? Or are you going to submit to the reigning king of sin? 
that will destroy you and steal what God wants from you. Let's pray. God, today we thank you that through your grace and mercy, we don't have to know a life as an outsider, that we can experience life on the inside, not because of anything that we've done or earned, but because, God, you paid the price for it. And so we look to you today, God. Many of us come in carrying the burden of feeling like we just don't have it all together, and in so many ways we don't, God. But you do. And God, in our lives, you can hold it all together. So God, we just look to you today. In the midst of our brokenness and lostness, and we realize that far too often, God, we've responded to an earthly king of sin that has demanded our lives. And we've given it to him willingly, thinking that we might be happy. But you, God, you stand in this room today. Your presence is here, ready to give us joy if we would surrender our lives to you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me ask you this question today. If you're here and you know that you've been running from God, you feel like an outsider, but you know today that you want to be a part of the story that God's writing. You want to accept the invitation that Jesus is to step into the story that God wants to write through your life. Raise your hand right now. I'm tired of being on the outside. I want to be on the inside of what God's doing. I want God to rescue me. If that's you, raise your hand. Get it up high. Who else? Now I'm going to ask one more question. And this is for everybody. I want you don't dismiss yourself from this. How many of you would say today that I've been going at life the wrong way. I've been wanting more of stuff that is probably going to break me, but right now I see that God wants to give me more of himself. And that's what I want. I want to make that my prayer this morning. If that's you, raise your hand if that's you. I want to make my prayer that I want more of God in my life. I want to surrender my life even more to him. Raise your hand if that's you. Awesome. So God, for those that are here, those that have been on the outside that you just invited to the inside. And those of us who have been living for you that, God, we, we need to surrender and accept what you want for us. God, for all of us, give us the courage to step into the life that you want for us. To receive the love that only you can give. To feel the satisfaction that only you can provide. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.